encourage you to gather together with people in the church throughout the week. Find places and spaces to connect, like the young adults going out for lunch after church today. If you've got questions, young adults. Now, if you're unsure whether you're young or not, you're probably not. So uh, young adults, meet with Heidi there. Um, I'm going to introduce my, myself because I just kind of get started right up front with a guitar. My name's Pastor Jamie, and um, Heidi and I, my wife, who has kind of been doing all the other stuff, along with Annie, uh, Heidi and I pastor the church together. We're co-pastors, which is a really awesome thing that we get to do together. Still working on how all that works and all the ins and outs of making it happen. But uh, I get to lead worship for now, and I get to pre- speak. I got, I got two, three hands. Thank you, ladies. And the back row really likes me. I'm not, I was not looking for a clap at all, but I just thought, how awkward. The back row likes me. Um, Anyway, uh, so I'm kind of doing double and triple duty, and so we're always looking for folks to jump in and help us. So if you're a musician, uh, a drummer, a bass player, a lead guitarist, a worship leader, um, piano player, any of the above, come talk to me after service. I'd love to to get people connected into that uh, vital ministry of the church. And it's important, isn't it? Because it really sets the tone for our hearts and being able to hear God's word and connecting with Jesus. So um, that's really important. So uh, my sermon, ready? (laughs) I just rambled for a really long time, didn't I? Um, my one joke was right here in the beginning of my sermon, and I'm pitching it, so we'll see if I can get anything else going on in there. Um, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. And uh, so we've been in Matthew chapter 8 for a very long time, well, only about five weeks, and it was really awesome. And like I said last week, I didn't, don't really want the series to end because it's all about just word, one word from Jesus can change everything. That's the big idea of this whole series. And uh, so my family and I got to take a bit of a break this last week and get away and go scream our heads off on a jet ski and sleep until we didn't need to sleep anymore and uh, play games and hang out and eat delicious food. It was an awesome time. So I didn't have like all this prep time to write a sermon. And I'm like, Jesus, you're going to have to speak to me while I'm on vacation. Anybody ever had that moment where you're like, you just need Jesus to speak to you while you're on vacation or while you're at work or while you're, you know, doing whatever, feeding the sheep? I know we have sheep feeders. Sheep feeders, raise your hands. That's right. There's at least three of you, four of you. Sheep feeders, you need to hear Jesus in those moments. So I was kind of like, Jesus, I need you to speak to me while I'm on vacation, while I've got my 13-year-old son on the back of a jet ski going, faster, faster, you like that. It was like really hard to hear Jesus in those moments. And I was like, when are you going to write your sermon? I'm like, I don't know. Um, but Jesus is going to come through. And, and he did. I sat down and I, I was just reading my Bible and I'm like, oh, I just felt led to stay in the book of Matthew. And I'm kind of looking through the different stories and I come across this story in Matthew chapter 12. And it captured my heart, and I believe that Jesus got something very special in it uh, for us this morning. But it's really, again, based in this one big idea that just one word from Jesus changes everything. There was an appropriate pause for a response there. I want to get you guys started in this this morning. Remember I told you last week, this is, if if you're here and you hear something you agree with, something that makes you excited, something that you're fairly unsure of, you've not experienced yet, but you hope is true, appropriate response is a woohoo, and that was a weird woohoo. It's almost a yodel, a woohoo, an amen, a yes, or please, or oh me, or something, okay? So it's a, it's a dialogue. You guys talk, I talk, we give this back and forth thing, and then you get me really excited when when you say woohoo a lot. So, again, ready? We're ready now, Doug? I think they're all ready. All right, so just one word from Jesus changes everything. There we go. All right. 
So the word we're looking at from Jesus today, it's a three simple, four simple words, stretch out your hand. Say that with me, would you? Stretch out your hand. Kind of a weird word from Jesus. And thank you, John, for actually, and Tauth for doing it for me. They participated physically. Good job. Um, I'm glad it didn't say, do the disco boogie. And John, John's going to, you know, Anyway, let's, uh, let's, let's, read. let's read the text, shall we? Uh, Matthew chapter 12, and we're going to be starting at verse 9. He went on from there. Okay, um, this is quick. I'm going to pause right now. I want to give you where he came from before we do that. So the text previously following this, Jesus and his disciples have been walking uh, through the, the Galilean hillsides, and they're, they're out together, and they come to this town on the Sabbath day. Now, the Sabbath day for the people of Israel was the day that everything shut down, right? There is, in fact, there's going to be no work of any kind going on that day. And there were some folks in the, in the city who were pretty, pretty uh, how do I say this, pretty hard about keeping these things. So, like, you do not work. They had all kinds of rules and laws. We're going to talk about them for a few minutes. But, so they came into the town, and all the restaurants were closed, right? They couldn't go to the old European. It was closed for the day. They couldn't head over to, it's not Tam's anymore, it's now Zoe's. They couldn't get to hit the cafe down there. They couldn't go to, oh, what's the name of the place in Coeur d'Alene, Heidi? Joe's? Jimmy's down the street. Has anybody been to that place? Then get the giant cinnamon roll breakfast plate. So these guys were like, they were hungry. They'd been walking for days, and they come into the town, and everything's closed, and there, but there's a wheat field, which we all know what that's like, right? You, you go outside, and there's a wheat field, and they look, and they say, which is what I would never say, even if I could eat the gluten, which I can't, I would never look at the wheat field and say, hey, look, breakfast. So they start picking the heads of wheat, and they start rubbing it like this, and then they blow in there, and they get the little kernels of wheat, and they eat that, and that's for breakfast, and that's what they have. But some people got really upset with them and said, they're working. Jesus, your followers are working on the Sabbath. And they get in this a little bit of an argument, and, and Jesus kind of gives them a lesson on what the Sabbath was really all about. He uses this illustration from the Old Testament. He said, look, King David took his troops, and they ate the communion bread on Sunday morning at church before anybody got there because they were hungry. If King David can do that, what's the big deal with these guys eating some little bit of wheat out of the field? Okay, so that's where we're at. He says, and he went on from there. So he went on from there. And he entered their synagogue. So he's in town. He goes to their synagogue, their church. And, the, and a man was there with a withered hand. Hands, I don't know. I never describe a hand as withered. I usually describe the plants in my office as withered. Um, plants in my yard sometimes as withered, but never hands. So there's a man with a withered hand. And they asked him, so they being the leaders of the temple, they asked Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They did this so that they might accuse him of breaking the Sabbath again. And he said to them, Which one of you has a sheep? If it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, would not take hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out, and they conspired against him how to destroy him. So, back into this day. We already talked about this. It's the Sabbath day, right? Nobody's supposed to be working. not supposed to be doing anything. But Jesus has a habit on the Sabbath day of going to church, just like you guys did. Look at you looking like Jesus this morning, all right? You're like, I don't know, my life doesn't look much like Jesus. But you show up to church on Sunday morning, you're one step closer, Okay. You show up to church on Sunday morning, you're one step closer to looking like Jesus. 
So Jesus is at church in this morning, and so whenever he's going to a village of any sort, he's really only got one option. Church is different then than it was for us. Each village had a church at a synagogue, just one of them. They didn't have the Baptists and the Presbyterians and the Episcopalians and the Methodists and the Four Squares and the, you know, all these, you get choices, right? It's, it's, it's almost as hard as going to the food court at the mall. You walk in there and you just kind of freeze up and like, I don't know which one of these is going to taste better. You go to Yelp and you're like, shoot, there's like the four-star ones are at the other end of the mall. And this one's, you know, like, I'm, how am I going to pick? You can go there and you can spend an hour like ugh, freezing up trying to figure out what you're going to eat. That's church today. But for Jesus's day, he got one choice. He's got one choice. And so he is in this town where the religious leaders, the guys that are running the synagogue, okay, the guys that are running the church, the pastors of the church, the equivalent of me and my wife, and our elder board, or our, our council is what we call it, the elder leaders of the church, these were the guys that had already picked on Jesus in the field. These were the guys that already said, Jesus, your servants are eating wheat on the Sabbath. They're like, you don't want them to have breakfast? Come on, they're going to be hungry in church. What you, what's the big deal? They had already picked on him, and now he's got to go to church with them. He's got to walk into their building and sit with them, and listen to God's word being preached and being spoken. He's got to sit and listen with them and sing with them or stand and sing like we do and have them up there with their guitars and the drummer and a whole nine yards and they're doing their whole worship thing because everybody knows Jesus prefers worship with drums. And he's got the whole thing going on and he's got to be in there with these guys who are the leaders of the church who've just been real mean to him. And he's got no choice. And Jesus is in there and he's kind of got this habit, though. Jesus has a habit of kind of being a smarty pants, being a bit of a rabble rouser around these guys, these sorts of leaders that were always looking to make rules about how we need to worship and what we can do and what we can't do. He was always pointing out the, the biblical law's inability to actually save us. I mean, that's what most of the, old, the early Old Testament is, is stories about how the world is broken, how God said, this is the way it's supposed to be. Here's all the laws. If you keep every one of these laws, the world would be like it's supposed to be, but nobody could ever keep it. Not even the best of kings, King David, could keep the laws. Nobody could do it. And they kept trying and failing and trying and failing and trying and failing. And God's saying, like, look, your work can't save you. But these guys didn't get it. They kept trying. In fact, not only did they say, hey, we're going to do that law. We're going to do, we're going to do some extra laws. We're going to do extra credit law. Okay? Extra credit law. It's, it's the equivalent of, hey, the speed limit's 35. We're going to do 20 so that we don't go over that 35. Now, how irritating is that, right? When you go down the street here in town and there's somebody driving 20 and you're like, get out of my way. He's, he's, they're adding these laws upon laws to get extra credit to work their way into heaven. And Jesus is always pointing out it doesn't work. You can be a great guy. You can do all the best things. You can wear the right clothes. You can eat the right things on the right days. But it will never save you. It will never rescue you. You have a need for a savior. And so Jesus had this habit of really irritating guys who thought they could. He would always point out the hypocrisy of their actions. How on the outside they were acting one way, but on the inside their hearts were dry and dead. They were withered on the inside. They had a soul sickness thinking that they could earn their way to heaven. And they were always pointing them out, and it tended to be public when it happened. Now, if I had a guy like this in my town, and that guy happened to come to church on a Sunday morning, and I was going to preach, I'm not exactly sure what I'd do. And I'm not sure these guys knew what they were going to do. I mean, what do you do? Do you let him preach? 
He's a great teacher. It'd be an honor to have him preach in our service. But if he preaches, he's definitely going to undermine the authority of me, the leader. Right? And he's probably going to say something that's going to make me look really bad in front of all of you. So that's not going to happen. Uh, what, what do I tell him? You can't be here. Well, this is volunteer church. When do we get to just kick people out, right? Almost never do we kick somebody out of church. So even the weirdest people get to come to church sometimes. Look at, you're all here, right? It was a group insult. That was right. I love you all. (laughs) And just for the recording, she said, I'm here too. So do we ignore him? I can't do that because if I just ignore him, like everybody's looking at him. So... Their only choice in this moment was to try to make Jesus look really bad or feel really uncomfortable so that he would leave. And I can almost imagine how this happened. Being a pastor, I could just imagine, like, if I'm not the worship leader, because pretty much on Sunday mornings right now, I'm up on stage all day long. But if it was a normal Sunday where we had our worship leader with us, and I could be sitting down in the seats, I, I just imagine sitting, sitting across and looking at him. You're in a red shirt, I'm sorry. <laughs> you just totally became Jesus for a minute there, and, and I'd just be staring at him thinking about how I'm going to get rid of this guy. How am I going to keep him from making me look bad? What am I going to do to make him uncomfortable? And I can just imagine this. I'm going to just call him a pastor, even though he's a rabbi. Is that cool with you? Just to make it like modern. We're just call him a pastor. This is some, this is his role. This elder. And he looks and he sees this guy that comes to his church every Sunday, like since he was born. He's there all the time. He's there in the front row. He's there. He's, he's worshiping Jesus. He raises his hands. He sits when it's appropriate. He have him come read the scripture sometimes. He's very faithful. He's been there all the time, and he's got a withered hand. He's got a hand that was born in a claw shape. He was unable to move his fingers. And he sees that man, and he thinks, I can't have Jesus preach or teach. I can't just ignore him. And I can't kick him out, but maybe I can bait him into working on the Sabbath, and then nobody will follow him at all. So, it's time for the sermon. And the man puts away his notes. He puts his Bible away. We're not going to need that today. We got the greatest illustration of all times. And he says to this man who's got this withered hand, who loves God and who is just longing to, to know God and to hear from God. And he's there to hear God's word. He says, would you just come up here and stand? And I can just kind of imagine this. Doug, would you be that man for me? Come up here. This is actually really awkward. Our size difference is going to be really awkward. <laughs> yeah, you can you hold your hand out like you're withered. I can just imagine, though, this. You guys, and everybody's silent. And he's just standing there. And he looks at Jesus says, Jesus, is it lawful to heal the man on the Sabbath day? Now you can go sit down. You know, he's got that smug look on his face. You guys know that smug, superior look? Just knowing, I've got this guy. He's done. He's just, it, it's, it's done. This is it. It's game over for Jesus. Said no one ever. Okay? Actually, it was probably said a bunch of times, but every time it was proven wrong, Right? Clearly, the elder believed that it was unlawful for him to do that. And I can't really imagine why. The Pharisees had all kinds of reasons. I mean, these guys had rules and commands regarding the Sabbath and what the primary command was, and this is from God, that we are to cease on the Sabbath. In other words, the the Hebrew literally means to come to rest. So it's like a car rolling down a hill and it's going in this direction and it kind of comes back up that hill and it slowly stops to come to rest. 
a Sabbath. You're going, you're working, you're doing, and you're making things happen. You're making your way in life. And then you come to rest. This is what God intended for us. And it was meant to be a gift. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But for these guys, they're looking at it and they're like, so what constitutes work if we're supposed to rest? Well, if it's a piece of paper, let me tell you, a piece of paper can't be written on on the Sabbath because that's work for the paper. That rock, you can't move that rock into the fence, even if it's fallen off there, because that's work for the rock. These guys had rules upon rules for everything around. You can't wear your hat, because the hat's work is to keep the sun off of your head. You can't, you can't eat more there. You can't bring your food from more than the stove to your table, because that constitutes work. It's too much effort. It almost sounds like laziness, like ordered laziness to me. So for Jesus, the, the, the Pharisee, this ruler, is looking at Jesus and he says, for him, work involves teaching and preaching and healing and casting out demons. Okay, without job description, for, first of all, I'm just still really confused of why he's trying to bring him down, right? I mean, this is a good man. He's teaching, preaching, healing, and casting out demons. And he says, I want to bring this guy down because he's threatening. Are you threatening me? He is threatening him. But they had this major miscalculation about Jesus. They thought that Jesus believed that to teach, to preach, to heal, or to cast out a demon would constitute work. Therefore, he would not do it on a Sabbath. But Jesus knew something about the Sabbath that God intended that the Pharisees missed. And that's this, that the Sabbath for Jesus and for God was all about delight. It was all about good things. Look at this. There's a scripture in Psalm 107, or sorry, not Psalm 107, in Job 34, This is what Job says about God. God hears the cry of the afflicted when he gives quietness, which is the same Hebrew word as rest, as Sabbath. Who then can make trouble? God loves to give Sabbath rest to people. And in that rest, no one can trouble them. Psalm 107 says this, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distress. He sent his word and he healed them and he delivered them from their destruction. And I love how he says this. Says, oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of the men. He goes on to say this. Let those people that have experienced that, let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving. Now we're not talking about, you know, taking a pigeon and killing it. We're talking about saying, thank you, God. I bring a sacrifice of praise to your house, of thanksgiving, and I declare your works with rejoicing. This is Sabbath, where God has rescued us and saved us and set us free so that we no longer have to work and keep laws upon laws upon laws in order to be free. This is what God delights in doing. A lot of us feel like when God rescues us or saves us, it was a big chore or task for him. Like he had to do this. He had to work this out. Otherwise, all the world would just be horrible and awful. God delighted in doing it. God loves to rescue you. There's one. God loves to rescue you. And if the Sabbath is about ceasing work and doing what you delight in, then every day is Sabbath for God. Because every day he delights in rescuing you, in lifting you up, in in bringing you up, in, in saving your soul. Every time you turn into him, he's not like, I wish you hadn't turned away. He's like, yes, you came back. He delights. And Jesus recognizes this, that God delights in doing good even on the Sabbath. 
It should have been what the Pharisees were doing, giving a sacrifice of praise. But they didn't. So being a huge fan of Jesus, I can kind of imagine what his face looked like as this Pharisee came up on stage and put his arm around the guy and said, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? I can imagine it's a mix of, are you humiliating this guy on purpose? Are you being a jerk on purpose? And yes, of course it's lawful to heal on the Sabbath. And he just says, like, you've got sheep. And if one of them falls into a well, not only are you concerned about the value of that sheep, but if that sheep dies in the well, then the well is polluted and nobody gets to drink water for the next month. Of course you're going to go and you're going to pick that thing up. Now, if a sheep is worth that to you, imagine what a life is worth to God. Imagine what a life is worth to the creator of the universe. Of course it's legal to do good on the Sabbath. And then looking at that man standing there, all he says is this, stretch out your hand. The scripture doesn't record any hesitation from the man. It doesn't record any, you can imagine his embarrassment standing there in front of everybody and this, this lifelong crippling that he's had that nobody even, you guys ever experienced that discomfort when you see somebody who has a disability? Disabled people know it all the time. They can hear it. They can see it in people's eyes that you're uncomfortable with my disability. And everybody in the crowd probably felt that discomfort. And he's standing there and there's just no hesitation. There's no sense of embarrassment in the text. He just simply obeys what Jesus says because he heard from Jesus, I love you and it is lawful for me to rescue you in this moment because God delights in doing this. So lift up your hand and he stretches up his hand and it's really awesome because you want to experience, you want to see like all the scientists in the room going, okay, now at what point in the lifting of the hand did the hand become healed? How did that happen? Was it at a molecular level? Were the, were the, 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 the cells and the DNA kind of fixing themselves in there? Because DNA determines all this stuff. If he's born with that, then his DNA was messed up. So was his DNA being repaired? And when did that happen? And Jesus, did he say DNA? And you get all these things. This is what we get. He stretched out his hand and it was healed like the other one. You got one that's messed up. Before it even gets here, it's not. Jesus healed it in that moment. Now, some would say that the guy was one lucky guy that day. I mean, he was lucky he was in that church on that day, right? He's like, he won the lottery. He couldn't work, maybe. He couldn't, he couldn't have a full life. They wouldn't marry him off because the whole DNA gene pool thing was going to be messed up. They wouldn't, they, he was reserved and kept aside. He wasn't given places of authority or power because he was broken. And in that moment, all of that changed. He was lucky. But I would say that he'd actually made his own luck that day. He made his own luck that day. And I actually don't believe in luck. But if luck exists, he made his own luck that day because he positioned himself for a miracle. He put himself in a place to be in the presence of God, whether Jesus showed up or not, to be in the presence of God. And to be in the presence of God is to be in the presence of the one who loves you and wants to rescue you, wants to heal you, wants to restore you. The Old Testament is full of worship of this God who heals and rescues. And so this man has been positioning himself, coming to the temple all the time, being there, being in the presence of God, hoping, longing, waiting, or maybe even not hoping, longing, or waiting. Maybe just being there. This is never going to change. Maybe he never believed or even thought that it would ever change. But he kept coming. He kept being there. And because he was present at that moment, in that place, in his church, 
when Jesus showed up, he received a miracle. He received a miracle. Presence is very important. A lot of us get in this habit of coming to church just sometimes. We come to church, it becomes a secondary thing, and it's a good thing, and it makes me a better person, or makes me a kinder person, or I learn something from the Lord. But when we come just sporadically, the chances are that you're going to miss something that God has for you. You're going to miss out on that moment when Jesus shows up. So I want to challenge you. If you want to change, if you want to experience a word from the Lord that will change everything for you, if you want to encounter a healing miracle, come to church every Sunday. Every Sunday. Be here, because I guarantee you that Jesus will be here. And when Jesus is here, and you need a miracle, you're going to have been put in a position to receive one. And that's a hard word. It's a hard word, because I take Sundays off sometimes. I get it. I get sometimes I'm going to go on vacation. I get sometimes mom is going to be sick, and I need to rush to another place. I get that sometimes things happen. But sometimes we let things happen that aren't ultimate things, family things. They aren't work things. I got an extra paper, or I didn't study enough, and I need to spend this time. We didn't plan our lives in order to get ourselves into the presence of God. But if you want to receive from the Lord what he has from you, all that he has from you, you want to receive a healing miracle in your body, you want to receive a healing miracle in your soul, be here. And I guarantee you, Jesus will be here too, And if you come every Sunday for a year, you will be a different person than when you walked in the door today. I guarantee it. As I was reading this story, I believe I heard the Lord speak um, very specifically. What caught my attention about this story was that there was this man at church that day who'd been coming probably most of his life. They knew that he was going to be there. He'd been there all the time. And he had a disability. And he kept coming and being in the presence of God. And I believe I heard the Lord say to me and to us that while you may not have a disability in your body, many of us are walking into church Sunday after Sunday with a disability of the soul. You have a withered dream for your life. You have a withered calling. I believed at some age that I was going to be a pastor and yet I went this other direction. Or I believed I was going to to do something great for the Lord. I was going to share my faith in some kind of a special context and I've just turned away from that and I've never done it. I thought I was supposed to go this way, but I did something else. Maybe you have a withered faith. Life stresses and strain on you. Have you wondering if God's really out there, if he really cares? Or a withered belief that you will ever change. This is just the way I am. This is who I am. It'll never, it'll never be any different. A lot of us have come to this place where I, I don't like to just be the guy that drops the proverb on you. You know, you guys know those pastors. You know, they're like, oh, Proverbs thirteen, and they bring you this big wisdom. But this one always sticks with me. Proverbs thirteen, I believe, verse twelve. It says this. It says this that hope delayed makes the soul sick, and we've been hoping for so long for something different that our soul has begun to shrivel inside of us. Some of us have just not believed that the things that we've been stuck in will ever, ever change. And other people have begun to believe that about you. You hear things like, oh, that's just Sister Susie. She's negative and critical. It's just who she is. People said about me, oh, he's just an Eeyore. He's always depressed. It's just a, it's, it's cute. 
Eeyore's cute. Being depressed and sad all the time is not. <laughs> Said my wife. It's just lovable old Eeyore. I don't know what people are saying about you. But you have a disability of the soul. And you're just living with it. And you're just going to church. And you're just reading your Bible. And I want to applaud you for going to church and reading your Bible and engaging in community during those times when it doesn't seem like it's going to change. Because you're positioning yourself for a miracle. But I believe that whether it's the first time that you've asked God for this or the 10,000th time that you've asked God, that Jesus wants to bring healing to your soul and to restore new life to that withered place. But here's the thing, that Jesus shows us in this text that he's not bound by our sense of timing. Okay, it's the Sabbath. He's not supposed to be doing these things. Big deal, healed. Oh, there's this guy. He's coming out of a tomb. He's full of demons. The tomb is gross. It's smelly. He's covered in filth, and he's evil and awful. Big deal, healed. Oh, that leper, nobody should touch him. Pfft, whatever, healed. Sense of time, sense of place, sense of propriety. Pri- 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 that's the thing Jesus isn't bound by those things he is not bound by them he will work when he wants and chooses to work in his sovereign will and sovereign way and sovereign timing and I want you to know this Jesus is also very sneaky even when you don't see him at work in that area of your life what makes you think he's not working he is he's at work in the background He is bringing healing into places in ways that you didn't even think. He's building a strength in you you didn't know you'd ever have. And someday, he's going to touch that area of your life, and it'll make all make sense. But he has not bound our sense of timing. So I want to encourage you, like the author of the book of Lamentations, who underwent the worst that history could offer, the loss of their homeland, the loss of their families, the loss of their wealth, the loss of their power, their strength, sitting in a gutter, homeless, destitute, beaten, and abused. And says, he says this, Nevertheless, I will remember. And he speaks to his own soul. He says, Soul, have hope. If it was being written today in our church, we would say, Soul, don't give up. You can buy the t-shirt in the back. They're just $12. Soul, don't give up. Have hope. Remember this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It may look like it, but it never does. His mercies, they never come to an end. You may be in need of deep mercy, but God's mercy is deeper than you can ever imagine. They are new every morning. You go to bed at night feeling hopeless. When you wake up in the morning, there is a new pile of mercy waiting for you, a new pile of hope waiting for you. Remember that God's God is great in his faithfulness. So I want to invite you to keep hoping in Jesus. Keep stretching out that withered space in your life. Keep coming. Keep positioning yourself for a miracle. Keep waiting. Keep the Sabbath. Keep delighting in the things that the Lord delights in. Keep resting. Keep looking for his mercy and his compassion instead of giving great sacrifice. Delight in God's presence and worship him. Even if you're doing it with a limp, keep walking toward him. I want to take a minute and allow you to listen to the Lord. If you were standing on the stage...
with this pastor. He's put his arm around you, and he's about to use you as the greatest sermon illustration of all time to humiliate another pastor. Which thing would he be pointing out in you? What withered space would he be pointing to and saying, Jesus, you're going to heal this? It's funny, because we live in a culture that says that, right? You follow, you, you say you believe in a God of miracles, and yet look at you. Look at that withering in you. You believe in a God of miracles? Look at how broken you are. What would the culture lift up about you? I'm going to give you a minute and a half of silence, and I'm going to go get my guitar, and we're going to have a time of just listening to the Lord. But what is Jesus saying to you right now? What is your withered place? Lord, speak to us. We're ready to hear from you. As Jamie was talking, um, I feel like there's an invitation in this room for exactly what Matthew 12 said to happen today. And Jamie was saying that inside of us, there might be some withered places that Jesus might actually want to heal today. Um, And that might be daunting, but the word that kept coming up for me was hope. And when I was in college, one of the sermons that stuck with me the most is someone said to me, If you lose sight of hope, you've lost sight of Jesus. And today I think that Jesus is actually here and saying, like, I am the hope that you might need to believe that that place inside of you um, can be healed. So during this last song, there's going to be prayer in the backspace. And if today you feel like maybe you need healing, whether it's inside or outside, whether it's relationally, whether it's something you can see or not see, If you feel like you need prayer um, for healing, then you can meet Heidi and I in the backspace and we will pray with you. We would love to pray with you because we feel like Jesus really wants to meet you today exactly where you're at. But I would also just love to pray for all of us here today before this worship song. And if you feel like someone who's like, wow, I just realized I have this thing that I really want Jesus to even speak to me about, you just open your hands and I believe that Jesus will come and Jesus is really personal but Jesus is also pretty powerful Um, so I believe that Jesus can meet us right here in all of our seats so I'm going to pray and if you um, feel like you need to stretch out your hand to Jesus I just invite you to do that yeah Jesus I feel um, kind of enamored by your power this morning 
by the way that you can come and bring healing so swiftly, by the way that you touch the leper and he is healed. You know, you, you see the, the demoniac man and he is healed. And I believe you see us, Jesus. You see us in each of these seats, wherever we are, and that you want to come and bring comfort and peace and healing to us. Yeah, so Jesus, this morning, when we feel your love and your presence and your healing, would the spots inside of us that are withered, um, would they come back to life? Yeah, Jesus, you came to this earth to bring life. And so um, even if we don't believe, God, would you help us uh, help our unbelief so that we may have a new life? Yeah, Jesus, we pray this over our souls and over our bodies and over our minds and our hearts. Would you come and be as close as our breath? We pray for healing in this place this morning, Jesus. Amen. So if you need prayer, you can come to the backspace. Whether it's physical healing or if you just want to pray for maybe even the first time with Jesus, you are welcome to meet us in the backspace and come and pray. Just stand with me.